Good morning, beautiful brothers and sisters. So good to see you. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 12. After you find that, if you're able, would you rise with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Funny story to, to open today. We, and it, we need a little humor right now, right? Good? <laughs> so this story is a true story. It's the story of the great paintbrush debacle at Ace Hardware. And it's told to me firsthand by one of our members, one of our friends here. And this really happened. Uh, so this particular member... Uh, is going, he needs a paintbrush, so he's going to go down to Ace Hardware and get a paintbrush. And we're about two weeks into the coronavirus at this point, so people are still trying to figure out things. Um, social distancing is still in the discovery mode, and I think maybe this, uh, some people in the store have a mask on, but this particular brother does not, our friend does not. So he, he goes into Ace Hardware, and he's trying to be mindful of social distancing, and so he needs to go to get a paintbrush, and so he goes to the paintbrush aisle, and there, kind of deliberating and trying to figure out what to do are is a couple and just think in your mind a couple like Frank and Marie from Everybody Loves Raymond okay so they're kind of going after it a little bit and uh, trying to figure out what to do and this uh, our friend comes into the aisle and he's like you know I need to give them some space to get their brush right so he says I'll wait a second I'll just chill back here and let them finish up so they, of course, do not see him. He's standing at a distance trying to manage social distancing and very thoughtfully, considerably. A minute goes by and no, no one acknowledges him. And I think at the two-minute mark, he kind <clears> of, <throat> you know, tries to make his presence known. And at the three-minute mark, he's saying, okay, I, I, I need to decide whether I'm going to get a paintbrush today or not. At the four-minute mark, he says to himself, I gotta go in for the brush. I gotta go in for the brush and just run the risk. So he kind of steps into their space and reaches for a brush to get in and get out. Oh, I guess we're not social distancing, are we? She drops the hammer on him. And that really is the story of uncharitable judgments that's what we do all the time not knowing the full story 
That's, that's what we do to each other over and over again, making quick, hasty assessments of a person's actions, even attributing to their motives, you know, certain things. And we just, we just do this all the time. So what I want to talk to you today about is making um, charitable judgments in contrast to, to uncharitable judgments. An uncharitable judgment is what we, what we just experienced uh, through our friend who, by the way, as he told me the story, was very gracious and having fun with it. And yet, I think it really is a significant illustration um, about something that's funny but very real and we do to each other all the time. So if an uncharitable judgment, just to get a couple basic definitions on the table quickly, uh, it, it's, it's in immediately drawing a wrong conclusion about someone else and assuming their motives and really assuming the worst about another person's actions. It's one of our worst habits and it happens at the misdemeanor level all the time. Sometimes it happens at the felony level and people's lives get ruined because of it. But the gospel of Jesus, right, it calls us to a more beautiful, it enables us, it resources a more beautiful way of life which includes uh, charitable judgments of one another. And so what we're doing right now is we're walking through a series on the one another's and today our one another uh, that we wanna unfold and try to discover is what it means to not pass judgment on one another as Romans 14 says. Or as James says, don't speak evil against one another. The one who does that judges his brother but who are you to judge your neighbor? The New Testament is consistently warning us, don't judge one another, don't judge one another, stop judging one another. And the most important passage, in my opinion, the most important text for us to dig into here is Matthew 7. So I want to ask you to, to work with me here, and, and, and we're going to draw out Matthew 7, 1 through 5, draw out two points from this really important, famous passage of Jesus. And the two points are simply these. One, uncharitable judgments come way too easily for us. Uncharitable judgments are natural. Uh, they are natural, they come naturally, and they come way too easily for us. Second point, charitable judgments come through the love of God. Uncharitable judgments, way too natural and way too easy for us. Charitable judgments, on the other hand, come through the love of God in Christ. Let's think about those two things as we walk through Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Now, let me say one other thing about, about this to kind of kick us off, and that is that making judgments in life is inevitable. See if you agree with that, right? Like making judgment calls in life is, it's just inevitable. We, in fact, we're made in the image of God and we, as image bearers, we come with the ability to interpret life. And so we do it all the time. We hear things, we see things, we study things, we have intuition about things, and, and we're all the time kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. It's just what we do. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it testifies to us as image bearers of the one who made us. But when Adam and Eve sinned, 
one of the many downstream effects on all of us is our natural tendency to misread, miscalculate, and draw wrong, hasty conclusions, often leaving out a piece of the puzzle, a critical piece of the puzzle that later makes a lot of sense of something. And I think that's what Jesus is going after here. Jesus is, is not, in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, famously quoted, judge not, judge not. What Jesus, Jesus is not discounting the need to make good decisions. Exercise moral judgments. Choose your friends wisely. Or stop a movie because it's just too dark or perverse or twisted. He, he, that can't be what he means. He, he can't be saying don't make wise decisions every day of your life. In fact, the context of the Sermon on the Mount tells us otherwise, right? We're in Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus is saying over and over again, make wise decisions. Choose wisely. Be godly. So, so it can't be the case that he's discount, discounting judgment or discernment. Not at all. Listen to the words of Jesus again. Judge not, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is warning us about our sinful tendency to judge uncharitably. That's what he's warning us about. He's warning us about our sinful tendency to make quick, sharp, negative, mistaken judgments. Judgments that grow out of a spirit of self-righteousness, hypocrisy, and an absence of love toward one another. Let me try to make this case for you by making a couple of observations just walking through the text. Verse one, judge not. And then he says that you may not be judged. Jesus gets right to the heart of this uh, he, he's kind of laying out for us where he's going with this since he's comparing two ways of judging or interpreting. That's what, that's what he's got on the table in verse one. He's trying to say there's two ways of judging or interpreting. One of them is to be strictly avoided. Verse two, look at the language of pronouncement. It starts to get a little more clear what Jesus is after. Verse two says, with the judgment that you pronounce, now just dial in on that pronouncement language for a moment because I think what Jesus is calling our attention to is to the delight that we often find in pronouncing judgment on someone else because it puts us in a superior place. It puts us over them. It puts us in charge of them. It puts us kind of as more important than them. And so if you're not careful, what happens as you're making judgments, you'll, you'll easily put yourself in a place of pronouncement, which is to say a place of superiority over someone else. And we kind of like that. It makes us feel better about ourselves. We think of ourselves as better than others. That's what Jesus is going after here. He's going after self-righteousness. Verse three. Now it's getting even more clear what Jesus is talking about when he says, judge not. Look at verse three. How is it that you have such a laser focus, such clarity of vision, that you can see a speck in your brother's eye, but you cannot see the log that you're walking around with that's knocking people over? How is it that you could be so blind. Jesus is talking about a particular kind of judgment. And then the deal, I think, 
verse 5, I think he seals the deal in verse 5. If there's any question about what Jesus is going after, look at verse 5. Look at the, the key word in verse 5. What is it? It's the, very, it's the very front of the sentence. You hypocrite. What Jesus is talking about in this text is our ungodly, hypocritical, pharisaical leaning toward or, or even a drivenness to judge other people with a harsh scrutiny and then turn around and expect those same people to give us tons of grace and freedom. That's what he's going after. Now, with all of those things in mind, go back to verse 2 for just a second. Look at verse 2. Because I, su I suggested that measuring is inevitable. I don't think Jesus is saying don't measure anything. Look at verse 2. If measuring is inevitable, when he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, I think what Jesus is trying to help us to see is that measuring and interpreting is inevitable. Making judgments is inevitable. The problem is not that you're measuring. The problem is you're standing on the wrong side of the ruler. So what you and I do is we take this ruler and we, we put it up against somebody else. And we're just so scrutinizing of them, down to the millimeter. Jesus is calling you through the gospel to flip the ruler around and start with it here. And when you do that, it changes everything. The first person you should be measuring and concerned about is your own life before God. So Ken Sandy, in his super helpful article called Charitable Judgments, says this, as Matthew 7 teaches, when we evaluate and judge other people, our natural inclination is to ignore our own faults and to make critical judgments of others. Jesus is not here forbidding critical thinking in the positive sense, which is evaluating someone else's words and actions carefully to discriminate between truth and error, right and wrong. What he's warning us about is our inclination to make critical judgments in the negative sense, looking for the faults of others without sufficient reason, forming unfavorable opinions of their qualities and their words and their actions, even of their person. In simple terms, it means looking for the worst in other people. I'm going to represent us when I say this. So, just gonna, I'm just going to represent us for a minute. We do this all the time. Somebody doesn't, return our phone, somebody doesn't return our phone call, return our text, or return our email in a matter of minutes, and we're racing to conclusions. It's crazy. It could be that they have had a really busy week or have something weighty going on. In, it's hard to imagine that they have lives apart from us, isn't it? Or, or your employer doesn't handle something in your favor and you immediately know why and you draw conclusions, which are so often uncharitable. Or you come home to a messy house, a sink full of dishes, an unfinished chore, a missing tool, and immediately you know who did it and why and you're ready to pour out some wrath. I mean, we do that all the time. We are in the business of of this, doing this 
over and over again all week long. Um, this, I will tell you, this sermon has just been eating my lunch. I, I, I flipped the ruler around about two weeks ago, and it's scary what's happening. Here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God has the power to change that in us. And we can discover how to draw great, through Christ, through the love of God in Jesus Christ. If this is not a matter of being nice. This is like, it is important to be nice. You should be nice. But this is not, but it's, I'm not saying go make charitable judgments because you should be a nice person. I'm not teaching you moralism this morning. The thing that's going to resource your ability to extend charity and make charitable judgments to other people is the gospel of Christ and the grace that has been shown to you. So, so drawing on the gracious, loving, freeing, uh, immense mercy of Christ, we then are enabled to go. And, so we're not just being nice. The ground of this, the, what this, what this whole idea of charitable judgments is grounded in and rooted in is the grace and mercy of Christ that has been shown to us. Completely undeserving. So, how do we get to charitable? Charitable judgments come through, you've got to experience the love of God first. So that's point number two. When you experience the love of God in Christ, it will enable you to do what you have not yet been able to do. Make charitable judgments. They come through love. Let me show you where this is in Scripture, verse 12. So we're here in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus does what he so frequently does throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He comes back to a big theme, a big important theme that ties everything together. Verse 12, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, circle that word wish. If you like kind of making notes in your Bible, or you want to come back to this, circle the word wish. So whatever you wish, others would do for you. The translators have not opted for love here, because love might be a little strong, but it is in the family of love language. That is, it's the language of wish, desire, and want. It's the language of love. Not just whatever you might be okay with other people doing for you, you should do that for them. No, no, no. What, what do you really want people to do for you? What do you wish they would do for you? How, how, what, what, like if, if you could just write it out, if you could just write the script, if you could cast a vision, like what would you want other people to do? What would you want, desire, wish for other people to do for you? That's love stuff. That's heart stuff that Jesus is talking about. And he says it's captured. He, and he says it captures, what I'm talking about captures the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's what the whole Bible is about. Love your neighbor. So back in chapter 5, if you back up a little further into the Sermon on the Mount, back into the middle of it, chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says you've heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not a proper interpretation of the law at all. I say to you, love your neighbor and, and, who, and, and love your enemies. You're supposed to love your enemies? Yeah, the gospel calls us to love our enemies. 
So Jesus is not rewriting the law. He's giving its proper interpretation. He keeps coming back to love. So much so that the apostles, when they write the rest of the letters of the New Testament, or write letters, for example, Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, you can sum up the whole law in this one phrase, you should love your neighbor as yourself, right? Do you remember this from a few weeks back? It's the law of Christ. Paul calls it the law of Christ. He says the law of Christ is synonymous with love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason I'm saying that, Paul says, is because if you think you love God and you don't love your neighbor, you've never really experienced the love of God. So the law of Christ equals the law of neighbor love equals the way to summarize the law of the prophets, the whole Bible. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, here's how you figure out whether or not you're making good judgments. Do you do for other people? Do you interpret for other people? Do you read, listen, and study their lives as you would want them to return the favor? As you would desire that. Now go back to verses one through five. Look again. And what is missing that we saw as we walked through this passage? What's missing is love. The person who's judging here is judging uncharitably. Love is missing, and that's the reason the church has historically referred to the phrase as charitable judgments. Not just nice judgments. Not even just good judgments. But judgments that activate the love of God that's been shown to you. So, in other words, let me say it like this. If you come up to a situation or a conversation or a decision, and, and, you, you, and you, if you can reasonably interpret something one of two ways, if you can reasonably interpret something in one of two ways, interpret it in a way that puts your neighbor in the same, the other person in the same favorable light that you would want to be placed in. Show them the favor you would want them to show you. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, I gotta say it again because we're so backwards in this. This is not being, uh, this is not being driven by being nice. It's not being underwritten by niceness. It's being underwritten by the love of God that has been shown to us. So again, Ken Sandy writes, making charitable judgments is a way to imitate God. I love this. So, so many of us want to know how to be Christians. We want to know how to walk with Christ. We want to imitate what God wants. We want to follow the Lord. Sandy writes, it's a way to imitate God. Making charitable judgments is a way to imitate God and show our appreciation for how he treats us. God knows everything and judges accurately has the final say in criticism, and yet he judges charitably, even mercifully, passing over and putting up with many wrongs. He's even kind to ungrateful and evil people. God is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Listen to Luke 6, the sister, the sister account of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, expect nothing in return if you lend something to someone, and your reward will be great. You will be, listen to this, you will be sons of the Most High, 
for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You will imitate God. You will be sons of the Most High. You will be more like God and Christ than ever before. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That is an astounding thought that I'm not just going to go be nice to someone. I'm going to actually let the mercy and charity that's been shown to me by God, I'm going to let it flow through me to someone else in making a charitable judgment, a practical, daily activating of the gospel towards someone else. If you've never experienced the love of God and never really known His kindness toward you, this this is going to sound really foreign to you. We sang about it in our first or second song. He's the kind of king who conquers through kindness. Did you see that? Conquering through kindness. A kindness that has been shown to us in and through Christ. So when you make charitable judgments day in and day out, of when you practice making charitable, not uncharitable judgments toward other people, you're reflecting the kindness of God if in fact you've experienced the kindness of God. You're reflecting the kindness of God. Charitable judgments uh, reflect the kindness of God. They heed the warning of Jesus. They fulfill the law of Christ. Chari- I mean, it's so incredibly practical to what we're talking about here. Luther, the famous Reformation theologian, interprets the, the ninth commandment like this. So the ninth commandment is don't bear false testimony against your neighbor, right? Don't lie and bear false witness against your neighbor. Here's what Luther says about what that means. We should fear and love God. And so we should not tell lies about our neighbor, nor betray, slander, or defame him. Now stop right there. Most of you are good with that. I mean, you want to be, even if you've struggled with it. You want to be. Like, that's the commandment. Don't lie about your neighbor. Don't bear false witness about you. Don't betray your neighbor. This is one of the things God makes very clear to us we should not participate in. But look at this next part. Luther takes us to a place that's really going to test your understanding of grace. But instead, we should apologize for him, speak well of him, and interpret charitably all that he does. Are you kidding me? Make a defense for someone else who I know has done something wrong? Man, this is so good. What could be more Christ-like? Listen, what could be more Christ-like than to apologize for someone else? in the right moment, in the right way. I mean, what could be more Christ-like than to step in and intercept the judgment that's being spoken about somebody else? Think about this. I mean, to, 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 to be able to say, you know, man, I am sure that he will regret what he said today. Let's give him some time and some space 
Man, I'm sure there are other things that are at work here that are, that are making this response uncharacteristic of this person. What would, it, what would it look like if we started taking up a defense motivated by grace toward one another? You know what, I am sure she did not mean that. I, or you know what, if she meant it, there must be good reason for what's stirring so deeply in her. Let's me and you cover that sin for her and not bring it up again. Luther, what Luther's asking us to do is impossible apart from grace. What Luther's asking us to do is impossible apart from the cross. But rather you should apologize for him, defend him or her, speak well of her, interpret charitably all that she does. Man, if we modeled this in the church for the world, that could be so powerful. Because what's happening here is we're not saying there's not a wrong. That's the beauty of the gospel. We're acknowledging the wrong. We're not neglecting the wrong. We're not neglecting the wrong. We're not ignoring the wrong. We're sweeping it under the carpet. Acknowledging the wrong, but then covering it as an act of charity and love and grace. That's distinctly Christian. You're not just being tactful. You're not just being nice. You're saying, I, I'm going to put a covering on this moment. A covering of grace. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You and I, we need... Like, I gotta confess, I am such a rookie at this. I do not know how to cover for my brothers and sisters like I should. You may be learning this as well. Charitable judgments are a beautiful way to put the gospel of grace on display. Jesus when he says, judge not, that you not be judged, for with the measure you pronounce and judge, when he says this, he, he's calling us to activate the power of grace in all of our judgments. I need to say, as we move in here toward the end, that there are limits to charitable judgments. Some of you are already racing there in your mind, you're, you're thinking down the road, there are limits to charitable judgments, there have to be, and there are. There are, right? If someone is patently wrong, deceptive, or abusive, no one gets a pass on that. Secondly, love does not require that we accept without question whatever people tell us. We need to be discerning and wise and judicious, right? Christ has called us to that. Third, the call to charitable judgments, judgments should never stifle healthy debate, healthy disagreement, so that we can learn and discover truth together. And fourth, charitable judgments do not discount the need for church discipline. In fact, the opposite is the case. Church discipline in the body of Christ is necessary and should be an act wherein the whole body of Christ seeks to cover and redeem. And yet, discipline may be part of that process. 
So there are limits to charitable judgments, no question about it. But look, here's the problem. That the number of times that you're going to bump into that week is, 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 is much less, much less than what the Lord is calling you to exercise charitable judgments in. So I want, you, I want to ask you to, uh, to, to affirm with me, yes, we agree there are limits to charitable judgments. Fine, let's put them over here in the library for a few minutes. We can access them when we need to. But this week, we're going to go after uncharitable judgments. Day in and day out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I just say that backwards? Anybody listening? <laughs> this week, what we're going to seek to practice more than anything else is charitable judgments. And we're going to press the boundaries. We're going to press the boundaries on charitable judgments. We're even going to be willing to apologize for one another, to defend one another, to cover one another's offenses. We're going to go for it. Go back to verse 2 and I'll close. Measuring is inevitable. Interpreting is inevitable. The problem is not that you're measuring, right? My problem is that I'm naturally standing on the wrong side of the ruler. Jesus is saying you need to flip the ruler. It should be facing you first, not them. Instead of taking that ruler and placing it up against another person and marking out in millimeters all of their deficiency, Jesus is saying, I want you to flip the ruler. I want you to flip it onto yourself. And when that happens, you're going to get a far more accurate view of yourself. Now, you might not like that, but it'll be more accurate than what you've been getting. And I think one of two things will happen. One, you will discover that you don't want to live under that same scrutiny that you've been putting on other people. And you're going to say, you know what? I don't like this ruler anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss the ruler. I think I prefer an eraser. I'm going to get rid of the ruler, and I'm going to take up an eraser, and I'm going to learn how to cover other people's mistakes. That is one possible thing that could happen to you. If, the, if you flip the ruler, and you start looking at yourself, and start realizing how much scrutiny you've been, you've been putting other people under, you may decide, you know what, I'm going to swap my ruler for an eraser. A second, or, or this could happen. This is, not, this is not the good outcome. A second thing that could happen is that you could decide to double down on measuring yourself and everybody else. If you do that, you will, you will find yourself enslaved. Higher and higher standards for yourself. Higher and higher standards for everybody else. And you will suffocate under that. You will crush the people that are closest to you. If you double down on being a Pharisee, you will drift further and further and further from Christ. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want to challenge you to flip the ruler long enough 
to get some self-awareness and some, oh, I don't like that degree to which I am scrutinizing other people. They shouldn't have to live under what I'm doing to them and then chuck the ruler and swap it in for an eraser and discover how to practice the gospel one way or the other. Jesus is calling us to flip the ruler around and let the gospel collide with this habit of passing judgment on one another uncharitably. So I want to pray for you that you'd have the courage to flip the ruler. Can, can we pray for a minute or two? Let's, let's um, ask God for help. Lord, I pray today that you would help us have the courage to look at ourselves, be honest, maybe even experience a little embarrassment and shame, and then run to the cross. God, help us to run to your kindness and your mercy in Christ. Give us the courage and show us how to make charitable, godly, grace-giving judgments. Wash us from pronouncement and superiority. Wash us from hypocrisy. Wash us from this habitual, ugly tendency to just judge so quickly. Thank you that you judged us in Christ and that the mercy of God is unending in Jesus. We praise you for it. Help us to sing about it today. We pray in Christ's name.